The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Rotowire Prospect Podcast. Clay Link here with lead prospect writer James Anderson. Shout out and a big thanks to New Day, N E U D A E, at New Day Music on Twitter. Appreciate the song Lion Kings, our intro this season. James, going to be looking at your latest Farm Futures piece, the California League Roundup. And the, the first guy you wrote about, Brendan Rogers, doesn't sound like he's going to be in this league for very long. No, it's been reported that he'll be moving up to Double A Hartford. Uh, following the Cal League All-Star game, which was two nights ago. So, yeah, I, I think his next game will come at double-A, so he doesn't really count as a member of this league anymore. But since he hasn't had any stats at double-A, I just kind of took – I mean, that was part of the reason why I did this when I did it is because this league really dries up in terms of high-end talent once he exits. So wanted to write about the Cal League while Rogers was still technically a part of it. Um it's going to be great to see him actually play at a at a location where we can maybe read a little bit into the stats. Yeah, that's a good point. The stats, I mean, 
jump off the page, obviously scream promotion, 400 average, 419 on base, 700 slug. Yes, 700, uh, 12 home runs. But at Lancaster, only six walks too. But you know, is Lancaster kind of the most hitter-friendly park or are all these parks pretty even in terms of how they play for hitters? No, I mean, that's that's actually kind of a big misnomer about the Cal League, especially this year. Bakersfield and High Desert both moving moving to the Carolina League, and those were the two of the other top three hitters parks in this league, along with Lancaster. Now it's basically Lancaster is a huge hitters park, and the rest of the parks are either neutral or pitcher-friendly. And, mm-hmm. like, the league itself might still skew slightly hitter friendly just because of how uh how much Lancaster favors run scoring but uh just I mean if you're just looking at another player like a non-Rockies prospect in this league I think you can actually kind of take the numbers sort of for what they are interesting interesting yeah looking at Brennan Rogers home and road splits I mean, the numbers on the road are certainly not bad at all, but you look at the home numbers, 495, 522, 883. On the road, 308, 312, 523. Is that kind of what you're expecting to see with this next step? Maybe a pretty good average, uh, you know, continued you know, growth with the power, but maybe a low on base initially? Yeah, I mean, like his his numbers right now look like, you know, they're they're cartoonish. I think once he gets to Hartford – his number is going to start to look like just a normal good prospect. Like it, it's not going to be anything outlandish. Uh, you know, I I've struggled with how much to care about the fact that his numbers are so boosted by Lancaster, and I've also struggled with how much to care about the fact that his two point seven percent walk rate is the lowest rate among qualified hitters in the league. He has one walk on the road this year. Uh, I think both of those things matter and need to be taken into account when you're valuing him, but I don't think either thing matters that much because while he's playing in extreme hitter-friendly environments, last year he was in Asheville, which is a, you know another probably top 10 hitters park in all of the minor leagues. Uh, he's going to play in Albuquerque at AAA. He's going to play in Coors Field, presumably, when he gets to the big leagues, and those are two more extreme hitting environments. So I don't think it makes a ton of sense to really ding him too much for fantasy purposes just knowing that he's still going to be playing in a in a hitter friendly home ballpark and i don't think it makes sense to ding him too much that he's not walking because should anyone who's hitting 400 and slugging 700 really be trying to take a walk so i mean it's mm-hmm. i think those things are if you're going to evaluate rogers and, and rank him or trade for him or trade him i think you have to be aware of those factors i just don't think they matter a ton Interesting, yeah, because it seems like he's been pretty fixed at that number 11 position on your overall top 400, even through several overhauls in recent weeks. So uh, It's it's just it, the, the top 10 is so loaded right now, in my opinion. Uh, you know, I think it's an interesting discussion between Brendan Rodgers and Glaber Torres, who needs Tommy John surgery. Glaber Torres was raking at AAA as a 20-year-old, Vernon Rogers was raking at Lancaster as a 20 year old. Uh, I think it, I think you kind of got to give Torres the nod there, even though he's, he's out uh, until next year. Uh, I mean, a med Rosario to me doesn't have Brendan Rogers power, but he's going to steal 
20 plus bases over a full season i think the batting average floor is a bit higher with rosario although the coors factor might make that a bit more even um rosario's just he's closer to the big leagues i think that matters he's he's the guy i have ranked ninth kyle tucker i think is a better all-around hitter i mean he's gonna play in houston that's gonna be fine he might hit second in that lineup at some point uh clint frazier's really close to the big leagues he's got a better power speed combination he's gonna hit in a friendly home ballpark i mean there's just it's tough to me to make uh put rogers ahead of some of those guys and i also think that just factoring in the shortstop thing with him i mean shortstop's not the wasteland it used to be so to me that that's less of a factor than it would have been like five years ago yadier alvarez at rancho cucamonga numbers don't look particularly good at least in terms of surface numbers era at five three two whip at one four nine but digging deeper do you see enough in the underlying sets to maybe think that alvarez is a good buy low option yeah, I mean, you could just you can easily just look at his FIP or his ex-FIP and see that he's gotten a bit unlucky. Uh, if you dig into just the, the outings in general, he's got three of his 11 outings where he's allowed just one hit. He has a 2-6 ERA, 1-1-7 whip. If you exclude the two Lancaster games and exclude uh, a game where he got hit around quite a bit by Stockton, so that's eight of his 11 outings, and he's got a sub 270 RA so it's it's not like it's just been sort of consistently bad for him it's just been there's a there's been a few trouble spots this season for Alvarez I think this is a great opportunity to try to buy low on a guy I mean I think if if dynasty owners panic on any one type of prospect it's low-level pitching prospects that look like they're struggling. I think those are the types of guys that dynasty owners are, are quick to sort of panic and unload so Alvarez is, is a guy that I would definitely be trying to target right now. I think it's interesting that on your top 400, you have Yadier Alvarez and Tristan McKenzie of the Indians back-to-back at 36 and 37 overall. And those the, the numbers this year are kind of polar opposites. I mean, McKenzie's been really, really good. 329 ERA, 104 whip, 91 strikeouts to 30 walks. And I was talking with one owner about maybe acquiring Tristan McKenzie and I am very intrigued, but is it the frame with McKenzie that has him just behind Alvarez, despite his success this year? It's the frame and the velocity. I think you know Alvarez is mid nineties. McKenzie's still low nineties with the fastball. Uh, Alvarez has kind of a more prototypical like six three, two hundred pound frame, whereas McKenzie needs to add some some weight. So it's I think they're pretty close i mean you could i would if someone wanted to trade mckenzie for alvarez or alvarez for mckenzie i think that that's a fair swap uh i think alvarez might have the slightly higher upside but i mean i I like the fact that he's in the nl it's it's close though yeah those guys are it would be interesting to track them i've said interesting about 50 times sorry about that but it'll be cool to track their their pass through the minors both at the lower level still but as they work their way up uh, their career trajectory is maybe pretty pretty close. But Cal Quantrill, of course, we've talked about him. He was a first-rounder last year. Lake Elsinore, 369 ERA, 138 whip. K to walk looks pretty good. Now almost, well, more than two years removed from Tommy John surgery. Is the command all the way back, or is there still room for improvement in that department? I think most people, especially people that were sort of high on Quantrill coming into the year, would have expected him 
you know, 27 months removed from Tommy John, 22 years old, pitching at high A. I think most people would have expected him to be walking fewer batters. I mean, 8% walk rate, it's not terrible for a typical pitcher at high A, but to me, I mean, this is a guy that is an advanced college arm. I feel like he should be, you know, having really dominating, especially in terms of limiting base runners against this level of competition. There aren't a ton of good hitters in this league. It's just not a very talent rich league, especially from a hitting perspective. So, uh, I guess if you had to kind of grade his season so far, I would say it's, you know, maybe like a B minus something like that. I mean, it's just, I thought there was a chance that at this point in the year we could be looking at Quantrill as a top 40 prospect, whereas now I have him ranked outside the top 60. So it's it could have been better, but he, he still looks like a pretty safe bet to be a number three starter. Interesting. And I was looking at just doing a sweep of guys today on the side with return dates for today and, and Luis Urias back in action now after just a brief absence after getting hit by a pitch. But the patience and, and – Play discipline. He's showing at double A at twenty years old. It's absolutely insane. Do you think the power with him is going to be pretty substantial once he fully matures? Not substantial, but I think it's going to be enough that he like it doesn't have to be substantial. Like it just he's going to be hitting first or second in a lineup. He's going to be hitting for an extremely high batting average. Like I think he might contend for some batting titles. So as long as it's double digit homer power, I mean that that makes him, you know, a top ten second baseman for fantasy. Maybe even higher than that if the, if the runs are there. And I definitely feel comfortable saying that his his top seasons he'll be in double digits. It's just is it going to be ten to twelve homers or is it going to be fifteen to twenty homers? That's kind of what will determine whether he's a guy that consistently goes in the top fifty or the top one hundred in, in fantasy dress. Mitchell White in the Dodgers organization. He's also at Rancho Cucamonga. Really good numbers on his part here. 372 ERA, 109 whip, 49 to 16 K to walk. And you note here, part of the success, part of the reason behind his success is increased fastball velocity. But how are the secondary pitches coming along? He's still got uh, plus slider slash cutter. Uh, it's, a, it's a high 80s pitch. It's got some cutter type of movement. I, some people label it as a slider. That's that's still a, a legit out pitch to go with the fastball. It's got some run on it as well. So that's that's a couple 60-grade offerings right there. The curveball is kind of a clear third pitch, but it's something that he's got time to work on. He's out until mid-July with a broken toe. And if he hadn't suffered that injury, I think there's a chance he might already be at double A. I think this is a guy that you could see in the rotation at some point next year. Matt Thice with the Angels. He's at Inland Empire. Now, he does have seven homers on the year, but you note here slugging under 400. You mentioned that as a whole, this this uh, league skews slightly more favorable to, to hitters still, but how concerning is it that this guy is slugging under 400? It's just not good for a first base prospect, a 22-year-old first base prospect at that to be struggling to you know, hit for regular power. I mean, it's it's a really tough position to profile at and yeah, he's got a great 
uh, approach. He, he walks about as much as he strikes out, which is, which is obviously great. I think that he's got a lot in common with fellow Virginia product Paven Smith, who just got drafted by the, the Diamondbacks, and that nobody's, nobody's doubting the approach. I mean, he's, he's going to take his walks. He's probably going to hit for, like, he's hitting 262. He's probably going to hit for a higher average than that. It, like, when things kind of even out, he's gotten a little unlucky on balls in play. But if, if he doesn't make gains in the power department, then he's going to need to hit like 300, 310 to be a noteworthy fantasy first baseman down the road because I just I don't see the evidence that he's ever going to be a 25 homer bat at that position so it's it's just he's walking a really fine line the fact that he's 22 and is a first baseman and is at high a I think he should be doing a bit more damage with the bat you sneal Diaz also with Rancho you look at the numbers they're not bad by I mean terrible by any means they're certainly not terrible but this is a repeat of this league for him. So were you really expecting more from Diaz this year? Yeah, and it's it's tough to really get too picky because he, you know, he was the second youngest player in the league last year. He's still one of the youngest players at 20 years old this year. But, you know, this is a guy that might end up having to play left field defensively. He's he hits right-handed, hasn't hasn't had much success against right-handed pitching. So, it's just it's a tough profile to really buy into as a, as a future everyday player. He's also uh, 12 for 28 on stolen base attempts in 143 games in the Cal league. So I think any hope that speed was going to be a part of his game, I think that you kind of got to forget about that at this point, home runs, just, just 13 and 143 games. I think in order to profile in left field, he's going to have to really start hitting righties and, he's going to have to hit for more power. And I know that, I mean, some people say his bat speed's great. I mean, we'll see. It's, it's a guy whose stock's definitely trending down for me. Josh Naylor with the Padres, Lake Elsinore, seven homers, 299 average, 363 on base. I mean, pretty good numbers here, but you note that the walk rate's pretty low. Also, man, I was watching a clip from the home run derby at this, this level and, Naylor's look I'm not a body shamer type you know I I have no room to talk but man it's just hard to see this guy at 20 years old and the weight he's at really making it as a and holding up you know we've seen some of these guys make it like Prince Fielder their career is relatively short are you more concerned about the the walk rate or the 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 physical you know build with, with a guy like Josh Naylor uh if he was if he was you know had like a a traditional first base approach type of profile where he's he's striking out like 22 percent of the time walking like 14 percent of the time and he was getting to his big raw power more in games i would hold off judgment as to whether or not his body would impede him from kind of keeping up that pace as he as he moves up the ladder but the fact that he's not walking a ton not getting and i think part of the approach issue is that he's not hitting for as much power as you'd expect just given the the type of raw power that's there and i think that that stems from uh, a lack of patience at the plate not necessarily waiting for his pitch i think you you have to you're obviously worried about the body you know that he's one b only like there's there's zero chance like zero chance of him being able to masquerade in left field at any point. So it's got to be at first base. 
or it's got to be at DH if he gets traded to the AL. And I just don't know if the offensive profile plays at that position. And he reminds me a lot of uh, a guy like Michael Franco, where it's, you know, when you're, you hit for some power, but it's not, nobody's putting more than like a 65 on like Michael Franco's raw power. And he wasn't even hitting for that much in games really. And you're not walking a ton. It just puts so much pressure on your your bat to make up for it with consistently high batting averages. And if you're only hitting 250, 260, and you're walking like 7 8% of the time, and you're only hitting 20, 25 homers, that's just not going to play at first base, <laughs> let alone maybe even like third base. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think your, your rank of 168 for Josh Naylor really kind of properly showcases the the risk involved probably like in our staff leagues where we roster 10 each owner and that's 17 teams just like kind of on the borderline of you know needing to be owned i think there is some upside there but man i see that body and i just you know you get flashbacks of fielder and a guy like pablo sandoval who knows i'm certainly not giving up on naylor but i think yeah that's just as you said puts a ton of pressure on that bat to to play up and to hold up month after month after month against major league pitching. Yeah, I think, you know, I think Pablo Sandoval is actually a, a fairly decent comp because you're talking about a guy that's that's just really good at making contact, uh doesn't have a great approach, has some has pretty impressive raw power, but we're kind of in an era now where, you know, if Pablo Sandoval from 5 years ago was at third base, like I don't even know if the bat would be above average anymore. And, mm-hmm. you know, now it's certainly wouldn't be able to play at first base. So it's just, I love the fact that he's young. I love that he's performing at a, at a young le- or at a, you know, he's two or three years younger than the average player in that league. I, I mean, that's great, but yeah, it's, there's just enough risk factors to scare me off. Uh, Brian Reynolds, he's playing in a, pitchers park there in san jose numbers still pretty good though 295 340 418 but you know how much would the bat play up in a, in a more f- favorable environment is there a significant growth from this line that he's putting up right now it's i don't know i mean it's you you gotta note the fact that he's doing a lot better on the road than he is at home uh the fact that he is no longer a threat on the bases kind of impacts his stock because i think coming out of vanderbilt it's not like i was expecting him to be a 20 steel guy but you thought he'd be able to chip in 10 to 15 at least in his early years he's just not a factor on the bases anymore isn't hitting for a ton of power either he's another guy that might end up in left field so there's there's going to be pressure on his bat as well that, that's why he's down at 182 a couple spots behind him on the overall top 400 jacob nicks with the Padres, numbers certainly don't jump off the page, but they're all right. Three ERA, one three three WHIP, really good control. That's kind of the the highlight here. But what's the upside with a right hander like Jacob Nix? Not a ton of upside. I mean, you're you're buying the floor here. He's he's a strike thrower. He's got a, a fastball that some people say is above average. Some say it's it's a future plus pitch, and then he's got a plus curveball. He's developing a what could be about an average, maybe slightly above average changeup, and he 
yeah, he pounds the zone. He, he's got good command. I think you're you're hoping for a number three. Probably more realistically, you're looking at a number four though. DJ Peters with Rancho Cucamonga. Man, this strikeout rate looks troubling, but I mean, there. I think overall, I mean, you look at the WRC plus. Hard to really nitpick with what he's doing right now but as he faces more advanced pitching what's he gonna have to do well he's yeah he's obviously got to cut down the strikeout rate it's it's fifth worst in the cal league at almost four uh 34 percent but you have to look at each prospect and kind of see like where they've come from what led to their assignment you know what what should you have been expecting from them at this level and dj peters is a, it's a fourth round pick out of western nevada small school he he rakes in the the pioneer league last year then he gets sent straight to high a this year bypasses low a altogether as a 21 year old and he's been 42 percent better than league average so i mean to me it's a it's a big success it's a it's another great scouting find by the dodgers he's got to cut down on the strikeouts but it's it's not like he was sent to low A from rookie ball and he's got to cut down on the strikeouts. I mean, this is a guy that it was an aggressive assignment. He's striking out too much, but he's he's producing enough for it to work. So I I think there's a chance he can cut it enough that he profiles as a regular. And look, I, I just recently added Peters uh, this past week in a in a TDGX, and that's that's a 20-team league where uh over you know probably close to 300 prospects are rostered so it's slim pickings if you want to add a a hitter in a league like that that's got legit upside and is in full season ball it's it's going to be tough so you know a guy like peters you're going to have there's going to be a flaw with any type of hitter you're trying to pick up in a league like that so the strikeout rate's obviously concerning but enough tools i mean he's got he's got plus power he's he runs a little bit uh it's it's a guy worth considering stashing in in deeper dynasty leagues i have a broader question for you just about well you know aaron judge he's just an amazing case obviously just killing the league right now but has he and his success this year kind of changed slightly how you evaluate guys like dj peters because for me, I, I kind of missed the boat on Judge. I liked him, but then I got a little too carried away with looking at the strikeout rate. If a guy does enough well, you know, at the plate, even if he is striking out a lot, are you going to be more willing to invest in them in, in dynasty and keeper leagues? Just sort of based on Judge's success, yeah. Um, and a guy like Bellinger as well. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's there's definitely sort of a school of thought among certain people where guys like that, a judge, a Bellinger, it's going to scare certain people away completely to the point where they're just never going to own them. You know, Joey Gal is another guy not having the same level of success, but just you look at the strikeout rate and you just are immediately kind of out on them. And I think that that makes some sense but it's it's got to be kind of case by case and with a guy like judge i was absolutely you know dead wrong on him i mean pretty much everyone was i don't i don't know of anyone that had him ranked as even a top 25 prospect coming into the year so yeah i mean i i kind right. of fell in love in the fall league but then i traded him off in the keeper leagues i had him in. yeah uh but the thing the thing with judge is that he had shown an ability to make adjustments at 
at all of his stops in the minors. So in hindsight, just kind of writing off the fact that writing him off on the fact that he really struggled against major league pitching in his first taste, you know, you, you probably could have looked at his history in the minors and said, well, you know, he'll be better uh, the next time around. He's going to make some adjustments. Now, even if I came to that conclusion, I would have said, well, he's, yeah, he'll probably cut that strikeout rate. He'll probably be down to like 35%. Uh, I wouldn't have expected him to cut it the way that he, the way that he has. And I think it can be, you can get yourself into a lot of trouble trying to just guess on guys like and say, well, he could cut that strikeout rate. Like I'm, I'm going to keep holding out hope. I mm-hmm. mean, it, it, it often doesn't happen. It takes like a really special player, obviously. Uh, I think it's, it's gotta be case by case. I mean, I think you also, I think uh, one of the big lessons here too, I think is, is you have to trust your initial evaluations of players. Like, uh, this is why I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm gonna die on Byron Buxton Hill if I have to, just because like I, I, uh, I can't just kind of get rid of my initial evaluation of the player um, and I think it's dangerous. That's when you get yourself into trouble is when you start, like you, you go from being in on a guy to reacting to a small sample and all of a sudden being out on a guy when it's still, it's still in that developmental window where it's probably too soon to, to cash out. And then that, that's when you really have huge regrets. Like mm-hmm. if I don't, I think the biggest regrets you're going to end up with are when you go from loving a player to hating them. And then all of a sudden, you wish you'd you'd loved them the whole time, or, or vice versa. So, I mean, that's. I think you have to trust your initial evaluation. If the strikeouts were always part of your your calculus, um, then I, I think you kind of just gotta trust it until there's a there's a big enough sample size against upper level pitching to to kind of write a guy off. I think that's wise advice. You know, plus if you hate a guy and are wrong, then you can just continue to be like, well, it's gonna turn south in a hurry here shortly. Just continue to hold out hope. With Judge, he is a special case, and it's still the book's not fully out on him. I mean, the the narrative can change in a hurry still, but uh, it just seems like a case where he made the adjustments and made a bigger adjustment than a lot we're expecting. I don't, wouldn't, I'm not going to be evaluating guys with high strikeout rates, you know, any differently really. Even though there may be, like you said, case by case, and noting that improvement at each stop is uh, after some initial struggles, I think is is a good. Good piece of advice as well. But Eric Lauer with Lake Elsinore, you look at the numbers and they're pretty encouraging, but you seem to be a little skeptical uh, just judging by what you wrote here. Why is that? He's just, you know, he's an old, old for the level lefty with, you know, a bunch of pitches, no plus pitches and good command. I mean, that's kind of what you'd expect from a guy like that. I mean, he's, he's having a, great time right now against Cal league hitting and he should because he's more advanced than most of the hitters he's facing once he gets to double a triple a i think you'll you'll see the strikeout rate come down a little bit uh you know he kind of falls into there's a handful of these guys in the minors right now where they're putting up crazy good numbers as as pitchers and you just look at the stuff and you're like well yeah but are they going to be able to get big league hitters out with regularity? It's he kind of falls into that bin. 
Will Smith, catching prospect in the Dodgers organization. Pretty in, intriguing combination of power and speed here. Already six steals this year and 201 at-bats. And with the catcher position being what it is, I think he has some appeal in, in dynasty and keeper leagues, but what are you expecting in terms of that bat and how it's going to play against uh, higher-level pitching? I think he's got a excellent approach, and he has, yeah, like you said, kind of interesting speed, power combination at catcher uh it's it's a better better guy to own in obp leagues i don't know if the batting average is ever going to be great but if he's getting on base at you know he he could get on base at kind of a yasmani grandal type of clip and then if he chips in say seven or eight steals and 12 to 15 home runs and that that obp's got him hitting fifth or sixth in a lineup that that's pretty valuable at catcher i don't, I don't think the batting average is ever going to be great but that i mean you you can't you're not going to find the perfect catching prospect it's just you gotta kind of live live with what you have and i think batting average is going to be his weakness but he's got enough to to make up for that you talked about some of these powerful prospects with high strikeout rates and man michael Geddes. He really fits that mold. 34.3% K rate, but nine homers. Also showing some good speed. Man, he's already over 100 Ks on the season. That's pretty amazing. But yeah, there's still something to like here. He's outside your top 250 on your overall prospect list. But he's, is he somebody that could you know, change your mind a bit or at least start to uh, with a nice run in the second half? No, not really. I mean, he, he needs to change my mind with a nice run against double a and triple a pitching where the strikeout rates in a manageable range i i'd feel comfortable betting a decent decent chunk of change that he's never going to hit enough to profile as a regular for more like he might get a chance i mean franchi cordero is getting a chance with the padres i mean he might get a chance but is he going to be a guy that's starts all year then starts the rest of the next year and the year after that i don't see that happening i just don't see the batting average really ever being where it needs to be i mean the power and speed is going to keep him relevant in deeper dynasty leagues for the time being but i think he's a guy that you you can safely not roster i don't, I don't think you'll live to regret it yeah i could see that is he kind of like a matt davidson type he's getting a chance too. somehow has a bunch of homers yeah uh I mean, Davidson was at AAA for forever before he finally got this long look. Um, yeah, that's true. I think Geddes, you know, I think the best case, if you want to be super optimistic about Geddes, it might be that he is sort of a Aaron Hicks type or, you know, uh, more realistic probably would be like an Anthony Ghost type. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's... Well definitely sort of the the tools the outfielder where the hit tool is by far the worst tool yeah i wonder if i don't know man it's just that whole debate about the ball and some of these power guys with high k rates being able to hit for a high a decent average too this year just weird i think that's an interesting thing i don't want to get into it now but i do think there's some some evidence and that's been talked about a lot but i'm starting to come around to the idea that maybe the there were actual changes to the ball, but let's continue on in your farm futures. Brian Mundell with Lancaster, and he's putting together quite a season as well, but how do the road numbers look for him? 
Yeah, I mean, at this point, we're talking about guys that you probably don't have to roster. Uh, Mundell's just a flawed first base prospect with with really good hitting numbers. Uh, His home road splits aren't that bad for a guy at Lancaster. He's a righty-righty first baseman, though. He's old for the level, 23 years old. I think it's safe to say that he's a pretty good hitter, but he... I mean, to to pull off that profile, especially given how old he is, you have to be just absolutely murdering the baseball, and, and he's not quite doing that to, to the extent that you'd like. He's just a guy to keep an eye on. I mean, if he were to ever get a shot in Coors Field, he'd, he'd probably be serviceable. But, yeah, I mean, the rest of these guys you probably shouldn't be rostering unless you're in a super deep league. Nick Neidert sounds like Neidhart, like Jim the Anvil Neidhart. Yeah, I mean, as you said, these guys are outside. We don't, of your top we don't have to talk about the rest of these guys. Okay. <laughs> I mean, they're they're just check out the piece if you're in a really deep league. I mean, Nightart's a fourth starter, maybe a fifth starter. Heath Quinn's a guy with power who's probably never going to hit enough to get to it. Garrett Hampson's a guy with speed who's probably never going to get a shot at an everyday role uh, for the Rockies. Sam Hilliard's got some power and some speed, but he's too old for the level. He might not be able to hit when he gets to Hartford. Uh, Joey Lucchesi. I mean, he Lucchesi's maybe the guy that if you wanted to to do a deeper dive on, uh, maybe worth investigating the problem is he's 24 and he's at high a uh his his numbers are excellent but and and he's got a great fastball changeup combination if he were to add a, a viable breaking ball then there's a chance that the, the padres might have something here but uh, you know just given his age given the fact that he's he's mostly a two-pitch guy right now i don't i don't think you need to own him yet i would just keep tabs if you if you see that he's added a, a slider or a cutter or something like that then then Lucchesi becomes becomes kind of interesting but you know just not a not a super talented league I mean Brendan Rodgers moving to double a uh you know Mitchell White and Anderson Espinosa on the DL Espinosa hasn't even pitched yet this year uh it's it's really the guys that are that have impact potential in this league and are active are, are Yadier Alvarez, Cal Quantrill, and that's probably it. Nice, nice. Well, appreciate your brutal honesty with some of these guys, but uh, I guess that's what you get when you get to that back half of the four hundred. But James, when do you expect to see this next wave of prospects reach, reach the majors? I've been waiting on several myself. Uh, I know that Super Two date. We obviously don't know and we won't know, but I think it's passed. You think it's passed? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I, I think it's passed. Uh, so I, I don't think that's a reason anymore why anybody's still in the minor leagues. Um, you know, Rosario's the obvious one that everyone's kind of like confused about. I, I get it. I, I don't really understand either. I, I don't see a scenario unless his bat just completely cools off. I don't see a scenario where they can keep him down all year just because I don't, I don't know if they can take that kind of outrage. Um, They're putting up from, with it right now. Yeah. I mean, it, they're taking it from all sides. It, we're still in the first half though. I mean, I, yeah. I think I'd be absolutely shocked if we got to early August and he wasn't up. Um, so the situation where he just, you know, it may be actually bad for his development to keep him down because he's just not learning anything. Uh, I don't know if it's bad, but I think it would be good for his development if he was up. I, I think it's kind of a, 
you know, he's just sort of treading water right now, just riding the bike. And, uh, I think it'd be nice to, to give him a bit of a challenge, you know, give him the type of challenge the Brewers gave, uh, Orlando Arcia last year. And then he comes in this year, he's kind of already through that sort of first stage of, well, now it's my turn to make adjustments. You know, I know what I have to work on in spring training versus if you, if you bring him up, say, halfway through April next year, once you get that extra year of control, then all of a sudden you, you might be dealing with the the growing pains in that season as opposed to just getting him out of the way this season. I mean, I I think if a, if a prospect's proven that he's ready and you're a team like the Mets, it's maybe, I you know, I hope part of the reason why they, they haven't brought him up, has, I hope it doesn't have anything to do with the, the guys currently in that infield because they're not they shouldn't be blocking anybody but hmm. um you know i so think the entire middle infield's hurt right now isn't it everybody wants to know yeah i mean uh i don't know maybe maybe they just wanted to do right by gavin Ciccini and give, give him a chance sure. um i don't i don't know it's it's confusing uh people have been asking me about Derek fisher that's a that's a confusing one too. Norie Aoki should not be playing over Derek Fisher, not for a contending team. But uh, yeah, I mean we'll we'll see. I, I would expect Fisher to be up for the bulk of the rest of the season. I don't know when he's going to be back up. Um, what about Mancata? I mean he's got nine hits his last six games. Homer over that span. Still waiting there. Yeah, uh, that's part of the reason why I think you know we told you before the season. Don't don't get super aggressive about going after Moncada in, in single season leagues and don't and don't think that just because you know that in mid May they've gained that extra year control, don't assume that it's like, well, that's when Moncada's gonna be up. Like mm-hmm. look, this is a guy yeah, that did warn about that in a farm futures before the season. Right. This is a guy that hadn't even played at triple A before this season. Like, I mean, you can't just assume but guys hey. like that are gonna come up. Uh yeah, I mean, he's – I like that he's not striking out a ton lately. Uh, 12 walks, just 11 strikeouts in his last 10 games. Um, and he's he's got one strikeout in his last three games. I mean, that that's that's the thing that you should be watching with Mankata, not the production, not how much he's hitting, not how, not how much he's hitting for power. Just look at how much he's striking out because that's, that's what the White Sox are looking at. And I don't think they want to bring him up and then send him back down. So – uh, I think they, they want to see significant gains over a significant stretch with the, the strikeouts. And until that point, you know, why bring them up? What's, what's the point? Like, you know, Med Rosario doesn't have any issues with his approach. Like you, you're not going to expect a Med Rosario to come up and all of a sudden be striking out 35% of the time. Whereas Mankata, I think you could definitely make a case that if they brought him up right now, he would be striking out a ton. So I, I get it with Mancata. I, I don't get it with with uh, Rosario. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm trying to think who else. Oh, oh, I wanted I did want to throw one guy out there, uh, and you know, not a guy that's in the top 100 right now. Although a guy that I think I think you can make a case that maybe he should be. Uh, maybe the next time I update it, he'll he'll. Uh, peek in there but uh tyler wade with the yankees uh really having a great year at triple a hitting uh 319 382 467 20 steals he's he's a legit plus runner 
with the Glaber Torres injury, you know, Miguel Andohar is also at AAA for them, uh, and he's a natural third baseman, so maybe they'd want to go that route. But, you know, Tyler Wade's a guy capable of playing shortstop, second base, center field. Uh, that's a guy that if the Yankees hold on to him and don't move him at the deadline, which I think is also a, a fairly big if because he might profile better with another team that has a more obvious opening at shortstop. But Wade's a guy that I think's earned a look at some point in the second half, and he's got enough speed and a good enough bat-to-ball ability, I think, to make a difference in, in deeper single-season leagues. So that that's a guy that the, the Torres injury actually probably helps in single-season leagues. Definitely got to keep an eye on there. And Tyler Wade, James, appreciate the insight as always. Great stuff. Again, check out his latest Farm Futures piece for yourself. California League Roundup, rotowire.com slash pod for a free 10-day trial if you do not have a subscription. That'll do it for us on this episode of the Prospect Podcast. We'll be back with you guys next week. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.